Hi, my name is Nate. Some of you listening to this program know me by a completely different name, which is Aniro. And if you know me uh, by that name, you're probably wondering why we're opening the show today without uh, an intro or, or any music. And uh, the, the reason that I'm doing that is I'm uh, attempting to emulate one of my very favorite programs to ever be broadcast over the radio called This American Life. Uh, and you can hear a lot of their programs at their website, thisamericanlife.org. And it's hosted by this really fascinating guy who's got this really recognizable voice and is just a really wonderful storyteller. And his name's Ira Glass. So why am I emulating Ira Glass? That's because three years ago I produced this piece of audio that was presented by our friends at Woot Studios, uh, which I believe is no longer uh, a site, uh, that was a look at online games and the ways in which they impact our lives. And since I produced that piece, not much has really happened with it. Uh, when I made it, I really tried to, to emulate the style of This American Life uh, utilizes in their production of their show. And while I've gotten some really great feedback, most of which has been really positive. I think that the issues that are discussed in my piece are still relevant. In fact, I think that they're even more relevant today than ever. And it will continue to be relevant as more and more of us live our lives out on the Internet. And, you know, I'm not the only person to, to find these topics worthy of examination. There's a full-length movie documentary called Second Skin, and it's been released on DVD. And you can find out more information about that at secondskinfilm.com. There's uh, also, as of recording this, October 18th, 2010, it's been made available on Netflix instance. So for those of you that have Xboxes and PlayStation 3s and uh, Wiis that have access to Netflix, uh, it's it's a really fantastic movie, and I, I really highly recommend it. Uh, PBS's Frontline has also done two programs where they look at the ways that the internet impacts our lives, one called Growing Up Online that really focuses on the first generation to grow up in this hyper social world of the internet and then there's another one called digital nations which pulls back the scope a little farther from our kids and looks at how the technology and the internet and online games and communities impact not just our kids but us as well so i also found two other audio stories by producers ross walensky and aaron henkin and i found these at a website called prx the public radio exchange uh, and with their permission i've decided to put together my own sort of little version of this american life for limit break radio called love battles and reality so so hang on if we're gonna do this you know if we're gonna imitate ira glass here then we should at least do it right internet. It's one of the most revolutionary creations of the 20th century, and one that impacts our lives on a daily basis. The internet has become so pervasive that it's now in the palm of our hands with smartphones and tablets like the iPad and other web-ready devices. Access to the internet has never been more simple. But where is our time spent when we get there? For tens of millions of Americans, it's with some form of online game. 
Well, from the Limit Break Radio Network, this is Love, Battles, and Reality. I'm Nate Bender. For this special presentation, we bring you three stories in three acts. Our first act is my own story from 2007. So after this is done, you'll hear me, but it's actually from three years ago, explaining what an MMO is and how the community aspect of online games brings people together. Act 2, a story by Ross Walensky that explores what can happen when online games take over our lives. And finally, Act 3, from Aaron Henkin, we learn that love online isn't always what it's cracked up to be. Clearly, I'm no Ira Glass, but uh, I really do think that these stories have a profound connection to the world in which we live. And it's hard to send a, a program like This American Life feedback to say that you would want to hear something like this, but I encourage you to do it anyway through things like Facebook or Twitter. You can find them on facebook.com slash thislife, or you can tweet them at thisamorlife on Twitter. So if you like this, if you like this program and you'd want to hear it on something like This American Life, Please let them know. We'll be back in a moment with more on love, battles, and reality. M-M-O-R-P-G. That's a pretty big acronym. It stands for Massively Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Games. Still lost? Okay, MMORPGs are like the old-style tabletop role-playing games, like Dungeons & Dragons, where players will assume the role of an adventurer in a fantasy world, and everything is determined by a complex mathematical matrix that is calculated by dice rolls. Well, combine that with the look and the feel of a video game and make all of the dice rolls automated by a computer and toss the whole mess online and you get an MMORPG. For those of you who haven't seen, much less played a video game since 1984, we've moved beyond simple interactive games like Pong or Pac-Man. Today, video games create huge and immersive worlds filled with stories, unique characters, history, complex and intricate controls, huge plot arcs, commerce, honestly, this list could go on. In simple terms, video games these days are more realistic than ever. And like every other media industry, the video game industry has made the transition onto the internet. In fact, what you hear behind me is the sound of virtual combat. But unlike the music industry whose profits have been decimated by their late adoption of the internet, and the movie industry who are also suffering the same growing pains, games have been online and interactive online since the internet was still in its infancy. Since video games are so dependent on computers for well, everything, the video game industry's transition into the online world has been a very smooth and highly profitable one. Now, when we say massive, we mean massive. These games can hold up to thousands of simultaneous players all inhabiting the same world and interacting not only with their environment, but with each other as well. The world is populated by two types of players, 
player characters, which are actual, real live people who are logged in and playing the game on their own computers, and non player characters, or NPCs, which are computer controlled characters. NPCs can come in a variety of forms. They can be monsters or things to be fought and killed for loot and experience, or fauna, the various animals that inhabit the world and can be killed for things like pelts. Or, NPCs can be permanent inhabitants of the world, giving out important information about the world in which we play, or giving quests and other such activities. These characters' actions are scripted, and therefore don't change unless the game designers want them to. However, player characters are actual people. I really want to drive this point home. The characters that appear on your screen are virtual representations of real people, and you can watch their characters' action in real time as they do them. Almost everything on these games is in real time, which is, of course, why they can be so time-consuming. So, if you're not one of the approximately 12 million people that play online games, then you may have heard about it recently in the news. Online video games can be addictive. The new ones are free to download, but then the costs begin to climb, and Parents say one game in particular has become a craze. It's out of control. Rickstrap, playing World of Warcraft has become an obsession, one that has isolated him from riding his bike, playing tennis, and interacting with his friends. All his interaction, he says, is done over this online medieval fantasy game. A 13-year-old Thai boy for strangling an 81-year-old woman to death and burying her in her front yard. His motive? The boy needed some fast cash to play online games. So he robbed the woman of $100,000. Lots of overblown stories of addiction and subversion in the world of online gaming. Okay, so maybe you didn't see these mentioned on the news. Maybe you've seen one of the many television shows that have been using MMORPGs as a plot point. You know, CSI just tracked a killer through Second Life. Um, South Park won an Emmy for their episode Make Love Not Warcraft. Uh, How I Met Your Mother addressed gender roles within World of Warcraft. And even The Simpsons had a WoW spoof. So, from this, we can draw conclusions about the kinds of people that play these games, right? I mean, in all of these shows, the players are shown as lazy, obese, antisocial gameaholics that are literally obsessed and consumed by this game. But I myself have been an online gamer for the better part of six years, and these stereotypes were totally contrary to my own experiences. My name is Nate, by the way, and I'm an online gamer. Uh, I'm also the producer of a podcast devoted to the online game Final Fantasy XI called Limit Break Radio. Limit Break Radio. So, um, obviously, between uh, part one and part two of our anniversary shows, The Pit was released, that being released uh, September 11th, 2007. Uh, so why don't we take a look at... On the show and in the game, I'm known as a Nero. Now, I've played Final Fantasy XI for four years, but only seriously for the last two. I've liked online games in Final Fantasy XI, but I didn't consider myself a gamer or a part of a community. But as time went on and we gained listeners, we actually did start to form a community. And the preconceived notions that I had about the limits of relationships formed through online online games started to dissolve. So it forced me to ask some very basic questions about online games and online gamers, and what if my own experiences? Were they unique? So I went looking for some answers, and fortunately for me, I didn't have to look very far. I'm Jeff Smith. I'm a professor in the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts here at Central. My credentials are I'm a big old geek, 
and have been one for I'm looking at almost 30 years since I first picked up my first Dungeons and Dragons game. And role-playing online for probably uh, over 15, I would say closer to 17 years. This guy makes me look like a noob. A noob, by the way, is short for newbie, which is someone who is of low experience in the world in which they play. Like I said, I've only been playing online games for six years, and then only seriously for the last three Jeff has 10 years on me, and his history and participation in both role-playing and online games gives him a unique perspective in the realm of studying online culture. So when came time to actually focus on a dissertation topic, it dawned on me that the most logical course would be for me to take all of this experience and all of these years of observation and the informal critiques that I'd been doing about everything that I'd seen, that I participated in, that I watched others do, and turn that into an actual theoretical study of issues regarding online identity, online community, and the formation of unique online culture. And so that's what my dissertation is basically about. I've... uh, proposed a theory. So Jeff has been working on this theory called, um, what's it called again? At this point, it's called cybersynchronicity theory. Right, right, cybersynchronicity theory. See, Jeff was frustrated with many of the studies of online behavior that are and have been conducted. Many of these studies have examined interaction online while ignoring variable factors that exist in a player's offline life, basically examining the issue from the perspective of the outside observer. It does not take into account in any way, shape, or form all of the factors of anyone's offline life that invariably will color what happens and the perceptions and how, you know, everything that happens online is based in all of your experiences and intuitions and instincts and everything, you know, suspicions and, you know, uh, insecurities and expectations. That all, that all comes from the external world, not the online world. So I said, no, that won't work. I've got to be able to demonstrate the reality that I've lived for the last 15 years. So, cybersynchronicity theory is pretty representative of what I've experienced. Outside of the few people I know who role-play or play especially written characters, The vast majority of people who you meet in online games are not characters, but who these people are as individuals. When you meet Rothgar, a level 25 warrior, you're not meeting a 200-pound orc like he exists on your screen. You're actually meeting Jason, the person on the other end of that orc. Throughout our entire interview, Jeff was telling me uh, personal stories of the long-lasting bonds and friendships that he had formed over his years of online experience. The first year it was just a day at Cedar Point, and then it was a three-day weekend camping, and then that became a four-day weekend. We'd do like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And at its peak, we had like a couple dozen people from all over the country who came in for this. And, you know, I made fabulous friends. I actually ended up in a... All the while, I was realizing that I had never met anyone that I game with outside the realms of the game. 
Sure, I have a podcast about the game, but I was friends with the guys that helped me produce that show long before we even started, and I had never been in a situation where I'd ever had the chance. Until November of 2007. The game that I play, Final Fantasy XI, was sponsoring a gathering of 2,000 Final Fantasy XI players out in Anaheim, California, and what they termed the Fan Festival. So I decided that I would make myself the guinea pig and actually see how and if friendships formed around this game can be rewarding and satisfying. And also, what kind of people would I find? Who plays these games? So I headed to Anaheim to find out. So, there we all were. At 9 o'clock in the morning, in the lobby of the Anaheim Hilton Hotel... 2,000 Final Fantasy XI players waiting to get into what was normally a large reception hall, but today was a haven for those of us that call Vanadiel our second home. It was the most diverse group imaginable. Each of us had a big name tag identifying us by our name, our character name of course, and what game server we play on. When the doors opened, we were led into a room that was set up with a large stage that looked appropriate for Motley Crue to be playing on. The seating was divided up into 40 tables, each with a different sign indicating a game server. It didn't take long for the mass of people to start huddling in group clusters around their respective server tables trying to figure out who each other are. It was a pretty awkward 40 minutes as we all waited for the event to get underway. Most of the conversation was akin to, yeah, sure, I've seen you around, or didn't we do that quest together? After meeting the one person from my server who I had known was going to be there, I realized almost everyone else at my server table were people I didn't even know within the confines of the game. As I started to worry about how this weekend was going to pan out, the opening ceremony started. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Final Fantasy XI Fan Festival 2007. Can I hear an applause out there? Without further delay, it's showtime! In under 30 seconds, the atmosphere changed. The awkwardness and uncertainty that started our morning was quickly replaced with a level of excitement that's normally reserved for rock concerts. You know, I should mention that this is the point where I started to feel a change as well. I felt a solidarity with these people, because... I was just as excited as they were. I mean, listen to this. How could you not get excited in an atmosphere like this? After the opening ceremonies, it didn't take long for me to find people I knew. Or rather, knew me. Like I said, I produce a podcast devoted to Final Fantasy XI, and I was getting recognized on voice alone. So I had plenty of people to talk to. While I was talking to various people, I found out that one of our guests that we had had on the show was in attendance and was working as a volunteer for the festival. I walked up to the first volunteer that I saw and I said, I'm looking for a friend of mine. And before I could even finish the rest of the sentence, his eyes lit up and I knew this was the guy I was looking for. His name is Yudva, and he recorded an episode with us about a year prior to this event. Joining us from the Fairy server, it's my fellow Dark Knight brethren, Yudva. Yudva, welcome to the show. 
Ah, uh, thank you, thank you. Oh, uh, it's good to have you. Good to have you. Now, it's so nice because we've. we've Here's the thing about Yudva. Both he and I specialize in a job class in Final Fantasy XI called Dark Knight. It may seem odd, but just having that in common gave us hours worth of discussion and an instant bond. Since we knew each other from the time we spent recording the show, Meeting Yudva was like meeting an old friend, despite the fact I knew almost nothing about this man. I didn't know he was in his 30s, I didn't know he was married, I didn't know he had kids, and yet despite all of that, I still felt as if we were friends as I shook his hand for the very first time. Uh, Yudva and his wife, Kirstiona, and I hung out at many points during the weekend, despite me running around recording people and the both of them volunteering to help staff the event. I would say that I made many friends in my time in Anaheim, but Yudva and Kirstiona both made me feel as if I were hanging out with friends that I had known for years instead of the few hours that we had actually known each other face-to-face. So I thought, who better to talk to about their experiences in an online game than the anti-stereotypical gamer, a married couple with kids? Uh, what do you want me to introduce myself with? Like, what do you want me to say? Just your name. Just my name. Both Yudva and Kirstiona use their real names in this interview, but it shouldn't be too hard to figure out who's who. Uh, my name's Denton Neal. Uh, I've actually been... Pl- this is my first online multiplayer game. I'm Christy Neal. I've been playing video games for as long as there have been video games. Yeah. My dad's an electrical engineer, so we always had electronic equipment and games online. I've played for about three and a half to four years. One of the first things that came up during our interview was Jeff Smith's cyber synchronicity theory. Although I never actually had to bring it up myself, both Yudva and Kirstiona supported its claims within just minutes of starting the interview. Because you get people that you run into that are, you know, you talk to and, oh, hey, and you wave and you sort of walk by and, oh, what have you been up to? Oh, I haven't been up to much. And yeah, there's an avatar on the screen telling you this, but there are people that are behind that that are, like, talking to you. And it's really interesting. Well, uh, people we'd never, ever get to yeah. meet. People in... England, Scotland, Australia, I can't think, I mean, obviously Japan. But Japan, yeah. Places, or even just across the United Brazil. States. Places that we never get to go, yeah. and now these people are our friends. We would yeah. never have met them if it were not for this. As I said before, Yudva and Kirstiona are parents, so I was curious about what they thought about kids and MMOs. Well, our oldest is uh, 12 and a half, and we've already kind of talked to him, and he's played a little bit on our characters, like on our storage characters, or a little bit of fishing, uh, you know, things that are simple, and that don't require interaction, and we've explained to him that the game itself, there's no harm in him seeing it, playing it, doing it, but because there are other actual people there, we don't know when someone's going to break in with something that we don't want him to see. Something that might be inappropriate. And there is a language filter, but it, there's a lot of things. <laughs> it doesn't block. And it's not going to block somebody coming in and they're angry. Something happened at work and they want to tell everybody about it. So they're being really angry or, you know, and he doesn't, 
need any extra exposure to that at this point in his life. I agree with her 100% on that. And then it's like, you know, it's not that he won't get to play. It's that he just, you know, it's the social level of it. Some of the things are really adult-themed when people are talking. You know, it it really... Right. The only other concerns, it would just be the normal things. The same kind of limitations we put if it was a console game or Game Boy game. You know, as far as homework being done and, you know, their other responsibilities taken care of. That would be the only other consideration. Responsibility. It takes responsibility on the part of the player to not let the world of the MMORPG consume them, because it does happen. It sometimes is the difference between an MMO player and an MMO addict. So I ask them outright, do they consider themselves to be an addict? Oh yeah, I am absolutely am. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, leave. I've had the most horrible signs of addiction ever, but if it's an addiction and I'm having a good time, and so be it. I'm addicted to fun. Yeah, Sue me. As, as much as you, I was going to say, but as much as you play, yeah. you go to work every day. I go to you work every day. You don't call in to play the game. No. You go to work every day. You take care of your responsibilities right. every day. You know, in the aspect of addiction, I've had a hard time with that, where people have said, oh, well, you must be addicted to the game. You're absolutely correct. I'm addicted to the social fun. I'm addicted to the people that hang out there. I'm yeah. addicted to the enjoyment of the game. Yeah, at the end of the day, absolutely. That's why we come back but what, as the people. What you know? What it's a hell of a lot better than being addicted to a lot of other stuff that's out there. I found out, but wasn't really surprised to learn that they actually have the same motto that I do when it comes to my priorities. Real life better than. Yeah. Game. All, all the time. So anytime are, you say, "Oh my yeah. gosh, I gotta go," they're like, "Don't worry." RL yeah. RL greater than, than game. game always. And that's it. You know, oh, I'm sorry, my car broke down. And RL so greater than game. That's it. Plain and simple. Real life is more important than the game. But that doesn't devalue the game because these games are an important part of our lives. It sort of wraps up the whole thing. I mean, why are we here? Because real life is greater than the game. So here we are, outside of the game, in real life. Because it's greater than the game itself. We as gamers are coming together in real life to socially interact where we have done it even in the game. It's it's a portal, it's a it's a transport. It's a facet. It's a facet of our lives and a facet of our personalities that are represented in our characters. Going out to California, I had no idea what to expect. What I found were friends that I already knew I had. I just didn't recognize them correctly yet. The experience changed me just like Jeff's theory suggested it might. And now, I have stories of my own with people named Yudva and Zero and Frice. And if you think that's nerdy, that's fine. Just remember, we could be anyone. We're not just the pasty kids living in our mom's basement. We could be your neighbor your friend, the leader of your neighborhood watch, your mom, even, just maybe, Mr. T. I'm Mr. T and I'm a night elf mohawk. What's your game? World of Warcraft. Well, there you have it. Do you think I sound different now than three years ago? I think I sound different. 
Anyway, our next story rewinds the clock even farther back to 2005 to Ross Walensky's story, which also happens to focus on Final Fantasy XI. So here's Ross and a word to our players. When you load up Final Fantasy Online, a huge multiplayer online video game, a warning flashes across the screen before you're allowed to log on to the game servers. It resounds sternly and with authority, but most players skip right past it, eager to get into the game and start gaining levels. Here's what it says. A word to our players. Exploring Danadil is a thrilling experience. During your time here, you will be able to talk, join, and adventure with many other individuals in an experience that is unique to online games. That being said, we have no desire to see your real life suffer as a consequence. Don't forget your family, your friends, your school, or your work. My friend Leif dropped off the face of the earth last year. This is where he went. There are a lot of games like Final Fantasy Online. They're called MMORPGs, short for Massive Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Games. Having never played one before, I was curious as to what the allure could be. I'm a regular video game player, but these always seemed like a little too much. More like a lifestyle choice than a diversion. Could a game be so great that it needs a warning label on it? How deep in could a person really fall? Considering Leif's total playtime, pretty deep. Puts me to 80 days, 9 hours, 7 minutes, and 50 seconds. That's since a, roughly the beginning of February 2004, so that's about 80 days and 8, 9 months. That's total compounded playtime. That's just total amount of time you've been online and active. What is that? What does that average out to about? Well, over over the span, you think about eight, nine months, there's about... It, co- it comes out to little less than a third of the total time that's passed since then. So, yeah. So, figure a third is sleep. Yeah, a third is sleep. So, about half, half, maybe a little less than half of the time I've been awake since February. Do you ever think about, in 80 days total time, like other things that you might have been able to do? Yeah, probably, you know, like, watch a lot of Nick at night, or, yeah, I don't know, you know, 80 days can can pass pretty quickly. You'd think a game would have to be pretty intense to play it for close to 2,000 hours. Regular role-playing games, the kind that you play alone, not online, they take around 40 or 50 hours to finish. And even that's a pretty big chunk of time. 2,000 hours, on the other hand, that's pretty much unfathomable to me. So what is it? What could possibly keep a person interested for so long? In 80 days of total playtime, what, what would you say you've spent the most amount of time doing? Probably gaining experience points, which you need to advance and level. So what you do is you, you get together with a group of people and you just go kill stuff over and over for sometimes four or five hours at a time. It's probably the most boring part of the game, but you kind of need it to advance. If if that's the most boring part of the game, 
but that is also like the largest percentage of the game. <laughs> that like kind of a a problem. Well, in a sense, it's boring, but it's um it's challenging, you know, and it's rewarding too. So, and you would say that the reward is worth the couple of hours of tedium. Yeah, definitely. Close your eyes and imagine a video game player. What do you see? Let me guess. Pasty, needs a haircut, maybe some new clothes. He's either really skinny or morbidly obese. But more importantly, he's introverted. Doesn't leave the house much. Not too many friends, not too many nights out. Nerds. Big nerds. But these nerds have needs, don't they? The hippie in them screams out about how man wasn't made to live this way. And maybe that hippie's right. But they can't help it. They have to play. Now imagine yourself as one of these nerds. You want to play a new game, but you've done it all. Saved the world, conquered galaxies, driven a race car 300 miles an hour. But in all these travels, what's the one thing that was missing? It's the one thing that makes that all seem phony in comparison. That's right. You guessed it. Other actual people. To what extent is this um, a, a social kind of game? It's a very social game because most of the things you do in the game involve being in a group with other real, real players. So, um, you, you know, you need to coordinate with people a lot to get anything done at all. You know, you couldn't, you wouldn't be able to get very far in this game um, being isolated. I mean that brings to mind like the sort of sort of obvious uh counterpoint of like everyone also just being like very isolated from one another in a more like physical sense yeah yeah definitely you know but um well i mean yeah it's a video game and you're sitting in your house playing by yourself probably so it is yeah it is isolating but in the game you know there is a great deal you know a great deal of social interaction probably more social interaction than you know people having a normal day at say school or work essentially the game is uh, engineered to encourage people to interact with each other for a game purported to be an immersive experience I have to admit it Leif seemed pretty detached he was running the game on only part of the screen an online chat program blinked with new messages on the other part of it. The reason became clear after a while. A large portion of the game consists of waiting. We walked out of Juneau, one of the biggest towns in the game, and it took a few minutes just to get to the edge of town. After that, we walked through lush forests and fields. You could see other players in the game, walking toward their own destinations. Eventually, we got to a dock on the shore of a deep blue sea. It turned out to be an airship terminal, kind of like an in-game bus stop. Players use these airships to get from one area of the game to another, but, well... Sometimes you have to wait quite a while, because airships run in about 10-minute intervals, so sometimes you just sit there at the dock for about 10 minutes waiting for it. You, like, take out a book or... Yeah, or go smoke a cigarette or... On the other side of the lake, after a five-minute airship commute, Leif stood in a large open field, waiting for monsters to fight... When one came along, which was a big bumblebee, 
just in case you were wondering. He killed it in about 20 seconds. After that, well... Now we're low on, on mana, on MP points, which is points that allow you to cast spells, so we have to, have to sit for a minute and regenerate. That seems so tedious. Yeah, it's kind of tedious, but... um, Yeah, I guess, you know, it's tedious. Delayed Gratification. That's the name of the game. And it seems pretty deliberate on the part of the game developers. You make the players wait long enough, and any reward becomes significant. Now imagine this. You've just spent the last ten hours killing digital bumblebees in a meadow then taking their stingers to town and selling them over and over again for 10 hours. Now eventually, you save up enough gold pieces to buy that magic tunic you've had your eye on. You have two choices at this point. Buy the tunic, put it on, and revel in your accomplishment, or admit that you just spent the last 10 hours masturbating. I think I know what I would do. There definitely has to be investment versus reward factor in video games. I guess there's few things that are worth having that you don't work for, you know? And the, the, the same applies even in, you know, children's video games. With that kind of attitude, Final Fantasy Online could teach kids the value of a dollar. It could strengthen this fledgling American work ethic of ours. But, well, there's a problem. See... Even though the game is designed to make you work for a long time for small achievements, people found a shortcut. An incredibly baffling shortcut. There's sites that will sell uh, currency from the game for money. Players won't want to um, spend the time doing things in the game to earn money, so sometimes they'll just buy it. And um, I know it used to be around 80 US dollars for 200,000 gil. Now I'd assume it's almost half that within five months, probably. When you think of a game, you think of playing a game and having fun doing it, you know? Yeah. This kind of foregoes the traditional definition of a game. It's about property and possession. The ultimate goal of this game primarily is elitism. Just to have better stuff than everyone else, and then you can walk around and brag about it. You got it all here. Vanity, facades, one-upsmanship. Does any of this sound familiar? Think back. Remember when you got your first pair of Nikes? Alright, maybe it wasn't Nikes. Maybe it was Doc Martens. A starter jacket, maybe. Anything. The point is this. You put them on in the morning, you strutted around in them all day, and man, you looked awesome. That's right. Final Fantasy is high school all over again. It's a video game, and, you know, there's a diverse crowd of people who play it. You know, there's 40-year-old, you know, 6th grade math teachers and people who are married and then there's 15 year old kids but we all generally try to act like 15 year old kids as much as possible you know that's kind of when you peak out in life at about 15 years old and people people just kind of want to recapture that you know 
people talk a lot about lost youth, you know, being carefree. Somewhere along the way, we lost that. There's no shortage of people who want to talk about simpler times, adolescence, all that. They ask you things at parties, like, if you could go back to high school knowing what you know now, what would you do different? They're next to you on the train on a hot summer morning commute, saying things like, Man, remember summer vacations? We remember that time in our lives, but we accept it as gone. We understand that, well, things are a little different now. Things aren't as linear. Things aren't as well defined. Things aren't, you know, things things are a lot more vague and gray. So that's what's nice about video games. You know what you have to achieve, you know how to achieve it, and then you do it, and you know when you've done it, you know? In what ways is that nicer than um, the ambiguity? You know, in the video game, I can go up to a person, and I can be like, hey, you listen to me, because I'm higher level than you. You can't really do that in real life, you know? Which is kind of a shame. In the real world, things are capricious. Good day here some bad ones there. Our relationships are more complicated than just pairing up with someone to go collect dragon's teeth. There's a certain kind of beauty in a social structure that's so rigid that your place in it can be broken down to an equation. You're only as good as your experience points say you are. Your worth is a function of your strength and dexterity. There's no questioning how good you are. You can look at the numbers and find out. If you don't like what you see, guess what? There's a surefire path to self-improvement. Just keep playing. You know, I suppose, I suppose cowardice has got a lot to do with it. But, you know. What do you What do you mean? Just just in you know playing video games in general. You know, you can uh, you you don't really have to face you know concrete failure or anything like that. You know, you can you can achieve things, but you're not risking a whole lot other than you know, time and energy. I'm in kind of an awkward position here. I'm inclined to somehow pass judgment, to spout off a diatribe about social responsibility and the dangers of an ersatz existence. But that would bring up a lot of problems. I mean, for one thing, I play video games too. But even more problematic is this. To condemn Final Fantasy Online... We'd have to condemn books, too. Movies? Sports? I mean, even your listening to this is a form of escapism, isn't it? Maybe the biggest problem with Final Fantasy Online is that, as far as escapism goes, it's just too good. You try not to ask too many questions of yourself, you know? Like, sure... Sure, you can rationalize that the video game is, you know, pointless and that, you know, everything you achieve in it eventually is going to be, you know, for nothing. I mean, you can look at it in a way where it's all a waste of time, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's fun to do, I guess, so that's just, I'm going to stick with that answer. Now, 
I'm sure that some listeners will feel that that last story presents Final Fantasy and indeed all MMO players in kind of a negative light. But personally, I think that that story asks very important questions about the validity of the way we spend our time from a little bit of an outsider's perspective. I believe that there is value in questioning ourselves and taking kind of an internal gut check to decide the value of our time spent. My hope in sharing that story with you is that it will provide you, the listener, with just some things to think about. Our final story focuses not on Final Fantasy XI, but on the game Star Wars Galaxies. But the lesson or the theme of the story is universal to really all MMO players. When one plays a game that is based around the interactivity of the internet and the social nature of human beings, oftentimes we find that the problems that plague us in our online life are similar to those in our offline life as well. Trust. Love, self-esteem, and self-expression all become important factors of our offline and now online lives. Aaron Henkin brings us this story. John Matchin is a suburban family man. He has a wife, young son, nice house on a quiet street. He's also an unrepentant video game addict. A few months ago, John bore witness to a total collapse of the boundary between fantasy and reality. It happened inside an internet video game called Star Wars Galaxies. Star Wars Galaxies is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. There is a persistent universe in which thousands, conceivably, of players can simultaneously participate in the same environment and interact with one another. Everywhere you go in these, these online universes, you're going to encounter other players. There are thousands of people on at any given time, uh, all of them able to interact with each other on multiple levels. You might all go out together and hunt crate dragons in the deserts of Tatooine, for instance. Or uh, they might form together in a more permanent group called a guild, uh, which is just a, an association of players that work towards their mutual benefit. You know, I help you a little bit, you help me a little bit, etc. We all benefit. There are little smatterings of non-player characters or NPCs sprinkled throughout the game. But again, the majority of the people that you're going to encounter are actually people from conceivably anywhere in the world who have also subscribed to this game, are also logged into the game via their computers at home, and are seeing you in, in much the same way that you were seeing them as an entity within the game itself. From weight to height to the explicit design of the face, to the clothing, jewelry, all manner of things that you might adorn a real person with, all of those things can actually be acquired for your, your in-game uh, persona, your avatar. There are places that they congregate within cities, and then in a smaller sense within specific meeting areas like cantinas, which are effectively like bars. You have the ability to find out with relative ease that there is an entertainer in the city, on the planet that you happen to be in, and that they are presently entertaining in the local cantina, you can go in there, sit down, watch this entertainer if they're a dancer, listen to the entertainer if they're a musician, and have your mind wounds healed that maybe you, uh, you gained from, from battling monsters on some other planet or what have you. John's in-game character is a seven-foot-tall lizard called a Trandoshan. He's acquired enough experience to become a master smuggler. 
These days, he travels from planet to planet, illegally modifying other players' weapons and armor for a price, and selling spice, the Star Wars equivalent of performance-enhancing drugs. He's been playing the game now for nine months straight. When I first started playing the game, I was working for a company, a startup company, that was in the process of sort of winding down. So I had a lot of free time, and we didn't have an office, so I worked out of my home. It was really easy for me to do what little was required of me from from my job and also play this game simultaneously. So for a while, I would play this game pretty much all day. I would play anywhere from 8 to 16 hours in a day, conceivably, across five or six days out of the week. A goodly number of hours, I mean, enough, enough to account for an entire job. And... I eventually, the, the company effectively fell apart, and, and I was laid off. And at the exact same time, a friend of mine who I just, and, and co-worker, who I just introduced to the game, also was laid off. So we found ourselves with even more free time than we had before. Now, I, being a family man, was a little bit more motivated to get work right away. Uh, this gentleman is, is single and was in a position to sort of decompress from the layoff experience before seeking new employment. So he really immersed himself in the game. You know, I, I've been playing now for nine months this game. This gentleman was spending every waking hour in this game. And, and of course, again, I, I knew him in real life, which is abbreviated in-game as RL. You'll constantly hear people reference RL in the games. But I knew him in real life, and, the, and so the two of us were naturally given to hang out and kill things together or what have you in the game. And, and it was also a natural thing that the, the player association that I ended up joining, the guild that I ended up joining, he, he joined as well. Well, after a time, another character that he had met came into the guild, and this other character, a female character was someone that he had been spending a reasonable amount of time with outside of the guild. And then, of course, once she joined, inside of the guild. And the, the two of them started becoming more or less attached to each other, at least in game. I mean, whenever you saw one of them, you almost inevitably saw the other, or they were asking where the other one was. And they would go fight things together. Uh, they would emote and let me explain a little bit what emoting means. The, you have the ability to type numerous commands that cause your character to act out something like a hug or a kiss or holding hands or laughing or vomiting or what have you. They would emote little affectionate gestures like hugs and hand-holding and kisses and that sort of thing. And eventually, this relationship that they were forming actually extended to the point where they, they decided to have an in-game wedding. The in-game wedding was rather elaborate. They, they actually had a, a real genuine service in the game. There was a reception. I was the best lizard. There was cake, refreshments of various kinds, and a receiving line afterwards, and wedding gifts, all these crazy details. In fact, I, I, I used the fact that, that this wedding had taken place to out-geek one of my coworkers at my new job when they they said that they had done something that was geeky. And I said, yeah, well, I just attended a, a wedding in a video game. And I won, of course, hands down. 
Well, the newlyweds were getting relatively involved, as much as you can without meeting face-to-face. No phone calls, but they were exchanging emails and sharing intimate details about their lives with each other. This went on for a few months, and then John's friend, the cyber groom, whose in-game name, by the way, was Zybo, he decided that it was actually time for him to start looking for a job again. He didn't have the level of time to commit to the game anymore that he once had, and likewise did not feel like he had the time to commit to a relationship that was strictly virtual anymore. So he started expressing his feelings about bringing the relationship either to the next step or terminating it. And he starts trying to get her to do things like talk to him on the phone, uh, meet up with him somewhere, either meet up with him where he lives, which is in one time zone, or where she lives, which is two time zones away. She's resistant to this. And it's not so much that she has any particular reason for not wanting to meet him. She just has a lot of excuses. So the groom, Zybo, basically calls the relationship off. His cyber wife, whose name is Mincy, doesn't take this very well at all. There's kind of a big row over it in their virtual circle of friends. Mincy begins approaching other players in the guild and saying that Zybo has been stalking her. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. In addition to meeting Mincy, Zybo also met Mincy's roommate, who had a character in the game called Sparrow. Because Sparrow was Mincy's roommate and because Zybo was virtually dating Mincy, he, of course, felt like it would be a good idea to, to be relatively friendly with Sparrow. So he, he started striking up a regular dialogue with her and they, they exchanged communications in-game and then eventually emails outside of the game. So the relationship between Mincy and Zybo is completely broken down after a while, and they, they're, they're no longer talking to each other. But Sparrow and Zybo still are. Even though Sparrow isn't really playing the game anymore, Sparrow's been sending emails back and forth with Zybo, and, and you know, they're, they're finding that they have some things in common. They're, they're both in the same general professional area, uh, IT, and they're getting along better and better. Okay. Fast forward about three months now. Things are going pretty well for Zybo. He's got a job. He's pretty well weaned himself off the video game. His emotionally unstable cyber wife, Mincy, has dropped out of the picture. And Zybo is enjoying a steady email correspondence with the former cyber spouse's real-life roommate, Sparrow. Until one day, he gets an urgent email from Sparrow asking for his phone number saying there's something she needs to talk to him about right away. Zybo is, needless to say, intrigued by this and emails off his cell phone number to Sparrow and not really knowing what to expect in terms of of what she has to say. And shortly after that, gets a phone call. And this is where things start to get a little strange. One of the first things to come out of Sparrow's mouth is, Mincy is a guy. Now, obviously, Mincy in the game is represented as a female character, not only physically or apparently, but also 
personality-wise, the whole role-playing persona that the person who is playing Mincy has put forth is of a, a, a female, both, both in-game and out-of-game. Well, Sparrow goes on to explain that not only is Mincy a guy, but that every personal detail that Mincy has shared with Zybo outside of the game has been a lie. For instance, Mincy gave Zybo a name, his, her, whatever you want. <laughs> the gender bending gets a little confusing here, but Mincy gave a name for him herself. That name actually turns out to be the name of Mincy's real-life daughter. Sparrow is not, in fact, a roommate of Mincy, but in fact, now at least, his ex-girlfriend. The personality that Mincy has been putting forth in game is borrowed or adopted from Sparrow. He's observing her reactions to things in real life and using that as fodder for producing realistic responses in game to other players. Apparently, as the relationship between Zybo and Mincy was falling apart, Mincy had made numerous efforts to convince Sparrow to participate in the lie by, and this is really mind-boggling to me, by actually getting Sparrow to telephone Zybo and actually pretend to be Mincy. So here's this guy who in real life is a man with a girlfriend playing female characters in video games that he is putting forth as if they are played by actual females in real life who is trying to convince his girlfriend to be the non-existent person that he is claiming to be in real-life interactions with another person who is completely ignorant of all of this. And it did not just stop with attempts to get Sparrow to phone Zybo, but actually Mincy uh, attempted to arrange physical meetings between the two of them. To what end, God only knows. I mean, did he want them to have some sort of sexual interaction and then describe it to him? God only knows. It's, it's, it's a very twisted and, and voyeuristic nightmare. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's difficult to wrap your head around. To bring us up to the present, the point at which Sparrow actually phoned Zybo was when her refusal to continue to participate in Mincy's lie turned into a physical confrontation. Sparrow ultimately escaped her abusive relationship and moved across the country to live with Zybo. The two of them are now happily coexisting in a real-life home together and working as IT professionals on the East Coast. John has recently spent some real-life time with Zybo and his new girlfriend, Sparrow. He says they make a nice couple, they seem happy, but he just feels like he can't entirely trust Sparrow. Any number of strange things could be going on at this point. The Mincy character could be in cahoots with this other character. They could be pulling some sort of scam. She may be looking for access to his financial information. She may, in fact, be this person. The whole thing may be an elaborate ruse. The real difficulty with this situation is that it is nearly impossible to separate the the reality from the fiction. In the meantime, John continues to play Star Wars Galaxies, and reality and fiction continue to get harder and harder to tell apart. A few weeks ago, 
John was witness to a private bid on eBay. Someone was auctioning off the code for their character's Jedi status, the most coveted prize in the video game. The winning bid? 15,000 real American Earth dollars. From producer Aaron Henkin, his story, A Disturbance in the Force. His story and all the stories heard today on this program are available from prx.org. That's the Public Radio Exchange, a community of listeners, producers, and stations collaborating to reshape public radio. All stories are available for purchase at prx.org. Thanks for listening to Love, Battles, and Reality, a special presentation of Limit Break Radio. Make sure to check out our website at LimitBreakRadio.com and check the links posted along with this episode posting for links to videos and other news stories about online games. I'm Nate, or rather a Nero, and keep listening. Friends are hard to find. Friends are hard to find. It's so hard to find.